Good morning. I feel like I've got the biggest object lesson for my sermon this morning. Today we're going to be talking about Jericho, and so of course we've got a walled city with a gate, so that's pretty cool, and uh, maybe we can refer to that sometime through this. So Brenda didn't know what I was preaching about, but it all worked out just fine. So anyway, let's pray together, and then we're going to uh, get started into our, our sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Uh, thank you for how we can be changed through your grace and through um, the way that Jesus can work through us. And Lord, we just ask that as we read your word today, as we study it, as we talk about it, we just pray, Lord, that we would become more like Jesus Christ through our teaching time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about the setting for our sermon this morning, and that, of course, is the city of Jericho. Uh, the sermon title is Rahab, an Unexpected Example. Now, Rahab, of course, she was, uh, her hometown was Jericho. And so I thought it's going to be helpful for you guys to get a, a chance to take a look at some pictures of Jericho. And if you are like me, I kind of have pictures of Jericho in my mind from like Sunday school days. And maybe it's just my imagination at work, but I think of super big, tall, flat walls, and I think of those walls kind of just falling in and crushing people and stuff like that, and there's a little window way up high, and there's a red scarlet rope coming out of it. Anybody else have that image in your mind? Okay, it is just me. All right. Well, anyway, this is kind of a, a, an artist's version here of what ancient Jericho likely would have looked like, and this, of course, is based on archaeological digging and studies that they've done. So you've got uh, Jericho, actually, like, basically, I think it was one of the first cities ever. So it's like the old, one of the oldest cities on the globe. And uh, ancient cities are often found, you'll find them in a mound. They call them tells. That's because people would settle there, and then something would happen, maybe an earthquake, or people would come in, and they would just knock everything down in the city and move on. And then people come back a little bit later, they build on it again. So eventually you have this staggered or uh, 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 stratified layers of building and it would just get taller and taller. So it turns into a hill, basically, a mound. And uh, so anyway, you got the upper wall here and it's like likely a two-wall system. And uh, you've got the lower wall. I don't know if you guys can see that, my pointer here. You got the lower wall and... Right along this lower wall is likely where Rahab's house would have been that we're going to talk about today. So it's not necessarily a, uh, a big tall wall on its own. There's a series of walls, and of course, as you try to get up this hill, it's, it's a better and better fortification because it's hard to climb the hill and deal with arrows and weapons and all that stuff, okay? So uh, let's see. Gene, can you move on to the next one for me? All right, this is a aerial view here of what was ancient Jericho. You can see, I hope, like based on the shadows, kind of the topography, it's just a big, huge mound. And you can see that they've done digging around there. It's one of the uh, most popular sites for archaeological digging and study. And, uh, but you can really see the fact that there is the area that's completely built up by 
human you know, construction and, and all these things. All right, you can move on, Gene. All right, this is uh, the, the round structure in the middle there. You can see this is kind of a tower that they built, and it's 23 feet tall. It's 23 feet in diameter. And then if you can just see right here, there's kind of a, an iron grate. That's actually a set of stairs that goes down through the middle of that tower. And uh, it just shows some of the, the ways that they fortified and the things that they could build, even with you know, rudimentary tools. And of course, they used regular stone from the rest of the, the area there. All right, next slide, please. Next. OK, so this one here, if you guys remember, there was a wall clear at the bottom. This is what they call it, like a revetment wall. And its design is to have a base that they could build on from the top of that. So this would be kind of be the very bottom of the wall. And this is one of the walls that they found. It's in pretty good shape. Uh, but based on that, they would build mud or brick houses on top of this. And that's, of course, where we see that um, Rahab's house would have been is in the mud and brick wall section. All right, we can move on. This is a section of the north wall, and you can see that there are mud bricks here, and the walls would have been thinner on that, but those were based on that bigger stone wall that was the foundation for these walls, and they continue to build up. So the purpose of me telling you this is this is kind of what Rahab's house would have been built out of, and you can kind of get an idea for where she would have been on the outside of the wall, and there'd be lots of uh, easy access in and out. Not easy access, I shouldn't say that, but she's not in the inner city where it's hard to get out of, and we're going to talk about more that the way that they could get out, the spies could get out of Jericho when they need to go. So it's interesting that there is a section of wall that is still standing, and some people say, well, Rahab's house must have been on the north side of Jericho because this is, this is some of the only places where that wall is actually still there. But we don't know that, so it's just uh, fun to put ourselves back into the area where we can actually see some of this evidence of, of what was going on for Jericho and for Joshua and, of course, Rahab. Now, we're going to be working out of Joshua 2, so you can turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Our big idea today is God uses broken, faith-filled people to accomplish his will. God uses broken, faith-filled people to accomplish his will. Joshua 2, uh, of course, right at the start of Joshua, Joshua is taken over for Moses, and at the beginning of Joshua, it's time for them to start going out and conquering the land of Canaan, because that's the next step in the process. Jericho was the natural first stop for them to do that. Uh, Jericho was kind of on the intersection of an, of an east-west trade route and a north-south trade route. So it was, it was like, we just got to deal with Jericho. Obviously, it was well fortified because of the fact that they'd been building there for a while, and it was just important an important first step for them to, to conquer this area. They estimate that there might have been about 3,000 people in the city of Jericho at this time. And the other thing to consider here is 
the fact that as the Israelites were kind of in the area and they were getting a reputation because of some of the other things that have that had happened that Rahab tells us about, people would have been fleeing to that city of Jericho. They would have been going there to seek refuge and safety as, as the word about these big bad Israelites were coming around town. So, there were, uh, well, let's just move on. Let's talk about our first, um, our first point, which is Rahab was broken. And we find this early on in our passage. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Rahab was broken. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So we find out early on, Rahab was broken. Her life was not what we would want to have in our lives. And we learned that she was in, likely an innkeeper and a prostitute. We, we know that she was an innkeeper because the men lodged there. That was their plan, was to stay there at her house. Well, we think that's it's kind of a, a bad place for these guys to go stay. Not, not a great place for them to be. But the bottom line is you think about this. There, if there were people, you're used to people who you don't recognize going in and out of this place. It is a good place to get information because of the many different people that stop at her house. And also, um, when you look at where she was on the wall, it's not like they're clear in the inside part of the city where they have to try to get their information. There's a good opportunity for them to get in and get out without being detected. So it's a good plan for these spies to go there. They could be inconspicuous, and uh, they have the opportunity to gain some of the information that they've been looking for. Let's take a look at verse 2. Verse 2. I would say this, that some people have tried to clean up uh, Rahab's reputation. They've tried to give her a better reputation that she was just an innkeeper. But the bottom line is this, she's referred to as a prostitute several places in God's word. And, uh, but what it's cool, we'll talk a little bit later about, is how God used her anyway. It didn't matter. She was broken, but God used her. Take a look at verse 2 with me, if you would. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So their cover is blown. They, they like get there, their cover is blown right away. The mission is clear. Somebody was able to figure out what they were doing, and they went and talked to the king. We have to realize that Jericho probably was in a state of panic because of the fact that this Israel, these Israelites were in their territory. They were close by, and they knew that, that things were probably not going to be good for them. The king sent for them to come. The, uh, Jericho would have had a king of sorts. He would have ruled over Jericho. Maybe he would have had a little bit of control outside of the city, but mostly just taking care of things in the city. So he sent his men, and he went to have them talk to Rahab and get to the bottom of these two spies that had come to town. Their mission was figured out. Verse 4, let's continue to verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Rahab, we're not sure kind of how this all fits into the, 
the puzzle, but Rahab may have figured something out here, and so she had already hidden them, like when it was time for these people to go to the door to talk to these king's men. So maybe she had, she had put something together in her mind or knew why they were coming there, but she went ahead and hid them. We see that Rahab is broken. She is a prostitute. She is a liar. And when she was pressed for information about the two guests, she went and told a big lie to these king's men. Again, some people have tried to you say clean up or, or make her story sound better or kind of excuse her lie to these men. But they, they might say we have it's it's like a wartime, so it's okay to lie, or they might say if those spies had been if she wouldn't have lied, those spies would have been caught. It kind of takes away God's ability to protect anybody on on the mission that he has sent them on. But we don't need to look for reasons to excuse Rahab's lies. To excuse her lie is basically for us to turn a blind eye to what God has said is not right. But later we consider this, that her lie is not what is commended here. Her lie is the act of faith that took, them, took her to the point of helping those spies and hiding them. As you think what might have been going through Rahab's mind, she might have thought, what is the best way that I can help this God that I know very little about. She'd obviously heard about God through people coming to the city, talking about these things that are going on with the Israelites and the God that they serve and worship. And she obviously has a growing faith in God. And so in her mind, she's like, how can I protect these messengers? How can I protect these spies that have come to me from God? The other thing is, when you look at the fact that Rahab is a prostitute and she's a liar, it adds legitimacy to the story. We think about this a lot in the New Testament where there's embarrassing things about the disciples, um, people surrounded by Jesus, and it doesn't try to sugarcoat what people are like. It doesn't sugarcoat human nature. Uh, You think about Peter and and his failings. He denied Jesus, uh, and sometimes when his faith was weak, Think about the disciples arguing about who is going to be the right-hand man in Jesus' kingdom. And uh, those things are put in there because we don't want a sugar-coated, airbrushed view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is the same case here. You think that this adds legitimacy to the story, that this is how it happened when these things aren't taken out or they're trying to clean up based on what we think is best for the world to read. Verse 6, let's keep going. Verse 6. Uh, actually, verse 5. I, we didn't talk about verse 5 yet. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she kind of, she says, hey, they already left, and then they were trying to get out of here before the gate closed, so you better hurry up and go chase them down. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax, that she had laid in order on the roof. Flax, these, the stems of flax had been three or four feet tall. They would soak them in water for a few days, and then they would let them dry on the roof, and then they would use them to make clothes. doesn't sound like too comfortable of clothes, but I've never worn a flax, a flax outfit before. Um, but anyway, that's what they did with the flax, and that's kind of, you think it would be a pretty good spot to hide, to hide people who you're trying to, to keep secret. 
But uh, the, the neat thing here that I want to draw your attention to is that the, the Hebrew word here that they used for, to hide them is actually a hiding that is designed to protect someone or something. So the Hebrew word shows us that Rahab was trying to protect the spies. Get back to what we're talking about with Rahab, just learning about God, and her goal was to protect these spies and to um, more or less help God that she was learning about. There are a variety of reasons that we might hide something. Um, Maybe you're ashamed about something, so you try to hide it. Um, Maybe you hide something for your own protection. Uh, Maybe you want to forget something, and so you just, you put it out of your sight and you hide it. Maybe you like to bully people. Maybe you are an older sibling and you like to hide your younger sibling's stuff. That's a different reason for hiding it, right? But the bottom line is this. She was, her goal was to protect them, and that's why she hid them in the flax. Consider this. Joshua didn't send a couple of, he didn't send the, the two stooges to go and to check out the land of Jericho. He would have sent guys that knew what they're doing, guys that could make good decisions, guys who could think on their feet. But here we go. These spies who are in the enemy territory are being helped by a Canaanite woman who they basically have put themselves in her hands to protect them and to almost call the shots for them. So it's interesting to think about how God, or there's a reversal of roles here, and uh, this woman who's on the bottom of the Canaanite social order is the one who's helping these two spies. In God's sovereign plan, the spies didn't go there just for military reconnaissance. They were there also for the salvation of Rahab. Despite Rahab's culture, her occupation, and her time period, I hope that you can see yourself in Rahab's shoes. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then once you were where Rahab is, she was lost in her sin. She was on the outside looking in when it comes to those who were part of, of God's plan and God's people. God gave a way for you to be redeemed. You were slated for destruction and you didn't have hope, but God gave a way for you to be redeemed and saved from your sin. Maybe you'd say, I am still lost. I am outside of God's plan for my life. I have not placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ but there is also hope for you. God can change your life if you humble yourself and trust in him as your savior. The account of Rahab's life brings the picture of God's mercy and grace into full view for us as we see him use Rahab in these amazing ways. Rahab was broken. Yes, that's true, but God used her and her faith as part of his plan. Rahab did not have the benefit of the teaching of Moses and Joshua to help her change her life. She did not have the the instructions that they would have given for how to live. And uh, her life was proof of someone just living life the way that she felt like she had to in order to make things go. The neat thing, guys, is our past don't matter anymore once we belong to Christ. Rahab was a lying, unclean prostitute before turning to God. But God changed her life, and she was worthy to be part of the lineage of Christ. Rahab left her culture, she left her people, and she turned to God. She left any religion that those Canaanites might have. That tower that I showed you, 
they, they think that that might have been part of some pagan worship uh, because there's a certain point at which this, the stars and the sun align just right. And, and uh, when you think about what were they worshiping there in the Canaanite town of Jericho. So she left all those things behind and turned to God. We have to do the same. We become part of the inheritance of God by becoming his children. We are saved by grace, and that's to live a life of abundance and faith in Christ. Let's keep going here. Verse 7. Let's take a look at verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. You got the guys pursuing them. They get locked out of the city, and you got the two spies still in the city that they're looking for. It's kind of an interesting um, concept to think about. They're safe in town, safe sort of, but uh, these, two, these other pursuers had to take off out of town. We've observed Rahab's brokenness, and we've seen some of the steps that she's taken to protect these spies. And now, as we move on to verses 8 through 11, we see the reasons that she actually took those steps, why she was protecting the spies. We learn about Rahab's faith. Her faith resulted in action. So point number two is Rahab's faith resulted in action. We'll read verses 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth. Talk about a shock for these spies. You basically hear this, you, you hear Rahab's confession of faith in God. What are the odds that they could show up at a Canaanite town and hear this, this message of faith and trust in God? So, the shock that, that brings that, but still you feel like this would have to encourage those men to trust in what Rahab was saying and trust in some of these plans that she had must have just put together on the spot. But uh, what she was telling them is she believed in the Lord and she believed that the land of Canaan had been given to them. Fear had fallen on them all. She th they figured the conquest was over, that they were just as good as dead, and that Israel would be taking over there. Fear had fallen all on all the inhabitants of the land. Chances are good, as I said before, that there would have been people rushing there for refuge to get away from being destroyed by the Israelites. Well, she would have heard lots of that information coming in about what had been going on, and of course the uh, she cited the Red Sea that would have been over 40 years earlier and the victories over Sihon and Og. That's from Numbers chapter 21. Uh, they basically, the Israelites had asked if they could go through the territory and they, the king said no. And then they came out for battle and it's like, all right, well, we'll, we'll do things your way. And then the Israelites destroyed all of them. So, Israel was closing in on Jericho, and they knew they could not win. Rahab responded in faith 
to the word that she'd heard about what God had done. And she incredibly had more faith than those spies 40 years earlier. She's like, this land is yours. You guys clearly are set up for God to give you the land. But you think about the 10 spies, they, they changed the course of what was going on for Israel and, uh, and caused some problems. Verses 8 through 11 show us why Rahab did what she did in verses 1 through 7. Let's read verses 12 through 14. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you, also that you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And then our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab asked them to return that kindness that she had showed to them. And the men do say that they will do that. She'd asked for their lives to be spared, the lives of her family. And uh, they gave her their word in verse 14. Their lives would be spared if she... Uh, if they kept their word, it would be their life for, for, for their, the family's lives. Verse 15, Rahab helps them escape. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. I hope some of those pictures help give you a visual image of what that would have looked like to have her house in the wall. And uh, she let them down by a rope. The city gate was closed, right? If they tried to get out of the city gate, how are they? There's just not a way that they're going to be able to do that. And so, again, we have Rahab. She helps them get out of the city in a way that would not have been possible if she weren't there. She also gives them a plan, verse 16. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide. Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, returned to Jericho. Then afterward, you may go on your way. So Rahab gave him a, a good plan. She gave him a solid design to get back to where they needed to be. About a half a mile away from Jericho, there's a series of tall limestone hills and there's all kinds of, of caves honeycombed in, in, those, in that area. So there have been a lot of hiding places for them. And uh, after the pursuers would come back to town, then they would be free to basically just walk back home. And uh, they followed Rahab's plan. Again, how do you decide to trust her? How do, you, how do you know? They did it. And again, we see God working through the faith of Rahab. Verse 17. Sometimes you'll see in the Old Testament, they will describe something, they'll give you a brief sketch, and then it goes into more detail and kind of fills in the rest of the, the picture for you. So that's what happens here. They confirmed this pact, the pact with Rahab, and provided some conditions for her. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid upon anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath 
that you have made us swear. Three, three requirements they give her. Number one, you got to hang this scarlet cord up. The scarlet cord, think about who's walking around Jericho when the time comes. They're going to see that scarlet cord and they're going to know, okay, don't mess with anybody in this house because these are, these are where our friends are living. And uh, so as they walk around that, everybody will know exactly where that spot is uh, with the scarlet cord. Number two is that they need to make sure that everybody stays in the house. If you go out of the house, it's likely that you're going to get, you're going to be slain with the rest of your community. And number three, keep your mouth shut. You cannot say a word about this to anyone. Verses 17 and 20, they use the same language here. It says, your oath that you made us swear. It makes you think, did the spies think, oh boy, how are we going to try to get this thing? How's this going to work? They were guaranteeing a lot, not knowing exactly how all this was going to play out. And, uh, but they are uncertain how it was going to work out. They're guaranteeing a lot for the unknowns that they also had. But these spies were part of God's plan. They didn't know all, how all the puzzle pieces were going to fit together, but they were part of God's plan. Verse 21 says that she hung the scarlet cord right away. She didn't stick a post-it note on the fridge. She didn't put it on the calendar. She did it right away. I think it's a wise decision. Verse 24, the spies make it back home. Rahab's plan worked. Take a look at verse 24 with me. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The spies basically quote Rahab right back to Joshua. This had to be music to Joshua's ears, right? He'd been part of the spying operation that went very poorly before. And now here we get good news from a Canaanite right in the middle of, of Jericho. Go with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 6. Should be just a couple pages over. Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. We're not going to read through all that, but that describes sort of the actual battle of Jericho. And then let's look at verses 22 through 25. This is kind of our dramatic conclusion to this whole saga with Rahab. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all their relatives and put them outside the camp for Israel. The, outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the, of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Don't you love a happily ever after ending? unless you're one of the inhabitants of Jericho. I guess that didn't work out for you. But uh, this is another interesting spot where archaeology can help point to what happened there at Jericho. Uh, there is a significant ash and burn layer. You can see where, where bricks and everything is charred there as they dug down. Uh, the other interesting thing that they found, too, is that uh, lots of times... You probably know about this, but if you've got a big fortress that you're trying to take, you can simply surround it and not let any, anybody in or out, 
and you basically do a siege on the, the castle or the fortress, you basically starve them out. After however long and their food supplies run out, everybody's weak, everybody's tired of being cooped up in the castle, so you could just do a, a long siege. Well, the evidence that was found is that they found burned grain, burned containers of grain, which shows that there was not a long siege, but it happened quickly. Uh, the grain would have been all used up if it hadn't been for the fact that uh, the walls had come down quickly and that it was a fast battle. So, again, it's just nice to see how God's Word plugs in with what you find archaeologically. We know more about the story of Rahab because of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 gives us the genealogy of Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 say, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Of course, it goes on down through the lineage, and we see that Rahab is right here in the middle of the lineage of Jesus. So God saved Rahab. She's at the bottom of the social scale. He didn't just save her, but she was part of Christ's lineage. Our scripture reading from this morning was Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 11, as Josh mentioned, the, we're, we're looking at the faith of those people from the Old Testament. They are our witnesses that help encourage us in our walk of faith. Hebrews 11, 30 and 31 tells us that Rahab is one of these examples of faith. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab saw what God had done. She feared him. She did not stay in that state of fear, but her fear or her faith resulted in action. Our faith is not just in word only. It also is in deed. Rahab put her faith in what God could do. She didn't think about the protection of the fortresses of Jericho as her, as her uh, protector. She didn't think about the gods of Canaan as her protector, but she responded in faith to, to God. We must put our faith and trust in God and his gift of love through Jesus Christ. Rahab's faith was followed by action. She hid the spies. She provided the plan of escape. She helped them escape. She kept her mouth shut. All of those things were the way that her faith was evidenced. We must accept Christ as our Savior, and our lives should then demonstrate that our faith is real. In the book of James, Rahab is mentioned again. James is very direct in his application of how Rahab should be our example of faith. James 2, verses 24 through 26, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's not enough to say that you have faith. There has to be clear evidence for your faith based on your actions. Tell me, how would the story have been different for Rahab? She whispers to the spies hiding in the flax. She says, I believe in your God. Yeah, I found them over here. They're, they're, they're hiding in my flax. It's a good spot. I, I will say that. But they're right here. You can come get them. I do believe in your God, though. Does that ever seem like how maybe our lives look? I believe in God, but 
I don't respond in faith with my actions. We worry more about what the world thinks than what God thinks. We try to figure out how we're going to solve our own problems rather than relying on God's plan for our lives. We trust our wit and our wisdom or maybe our financial means in order to get us out of a jam. We believe the lies of the world before we believe in the promises of God. So what does it look like to live a life with an active, alive faith? We pray and consult God's word before making those big decisions and even some of the not-so-big decisions. We take faithful, small steps of obedience in our daily Christian walk, knowing that the fruit will come. Rahab didn't know the result of her faithfulness through the years, but we see that here as it's evidence for us in the New Testament. She acted on her faith. She also raised a son uh, with Salmon, uh, Boaz, and we see that that also put her in the lineage of Jesus. When we act on faith, regardless of cultural pressure, that's also us living an active faith. Look at what Rahab had stacked against her when it came to her culture. She had... She had these other gods that they were worshiping. She had a great place to be protected from the rest of the, the attacks of the world. I think about the patriotism, too. It's like, you're going to come in here and you're going to wreck our city? She turned aside all that and said, I'm going to put my faith in God and go that direction. We have mounting pressure from our culture that is against Christian beliefs. People are becoming more uninterested in hearing or talking about spiritual things. Are you living a life that is marked by faith at home, at work, with your friends, and everywhere else? Consider this. What kind of religion is it, what kind of faith is it that uses sinners and prostitutes as a good example to follow? It's a religion that worships God who is able to take dead, broken emptiness and turn it into something living and growing that can do great things for his glory. We can live in the promise that God uses people, although they may be broken, they are filled with faith and following him in obedience. So you may ask yourself, how can God possibly use me? Let God use you by taking small steps of faith, and you will see him work through you. I just want to share with you guys, uh, John Newton in 1779, he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Think about John Newton. He was a slave, slave trader. He, he was a vile man, and God changed his life and used him in amazing ways. And Rahab was in the same boat. She had a, a vile life, a life that, that was not headed in the direction of God. But we still see how God used these people. So our hearts must resonate with John Newton and Rahab. We're lost. We're a wretch. We're blind. But through God's grace, that's not the way we are now. God uses broken, faith-filled people to accomplish his will. I want to leave you guys with our benediction today. It is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. 
I picked this because as you listen, you'll hear about this faith and the, the works that come through us and the design is to give God the glory. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good, for every good and every good, every good work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and, in, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here this morning. You're dismissed.